Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, January 17th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We continue our position preview series, which began with the previous episode. We started with shortstops today. We move over to second base, staying in the middle infield, digging through a position that has some depth, but the quality of those players tails off considerably once you get out past that pick 200, pick 250 marker. So, as we do for all these episodes, we're going to look at NFBC ADP as a, a guide for where these players are going. We're looking at the last seven days, all formats. So if you hear a number and it doesn't make sense, that's how we came up with that number. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to like this video. Drop us a comment if you have a question or if you just enjoyed something we said. Be sure to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And also leave us a nice rating and review if you're listening to the podcast version of the show. We'd really appreciate it if you did that. So... You know, I know we do not have a lot of extra time based on how long the shortstop preview was. Let's get right to it. Let's talk about the tier one options at second base, which now includes Mookie Betts again. I feel like we've traveled back in time. And my argument would be that Mookie Betts is more valuable at second base to us as fantasy players. He's still eligible in the outfield, of course, since he played a little bit more out there in 2023. But according to Dave Roberts at the winter meetings this year, Mookie's the everyday second baseman for this Dodgers team now. What he did at the plate in 2023 was pretty ridiculous. It was the second best barrel rate of his career. The entire hitting profile on his StatCast page went red. And it looked like in 2022, there were some signs of normal aging in there, right? It was, oh, okay, Mookie Betts is you know getting to that point in his career. Strikeout rate a little bit up. Yeah, he's not Superman anymore. No, he's still Superman, which is just crazy. So... It's interesting that the first skill that appears to be fading is actually the speed. Stolen bases are the thing that have kind of tapered off in recent years, but he's still getting 10-plus every year. But this is really an ultimate average power and run production play, especially with the quality of the lineup around him right now in Los Angeles. Yeah, kudos to him. Uh, you know, going up to driveline and doing bat speed, um, you know, work at uh, 31 when, you know, even a bad season for you was like a, you know, near MVP season 2022, like still like a near a seven win season. Um, and that bat speed work, I think, helped. He had the best max exit below he'd had uh, since 2018 in Boston. Um, and so, you know, reverse some of that aging, had the second best barrel rate of his career, like you said. So it's like, you know, the best or second best hard hit rate, like. You take a guy that has amazing contact ability, amazing sense of the plate, and some nascent power, doesn't hit 50% of, uh, of his balls on the ground, and this is the 99.9th percentile outcome for the type of player like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is why uh, I am forever interested in guys in the minor leagues that walk 12% of the time and strike out 
you know, 14% of the time or whatever and have non-zero power. It's the Mookie bets that I'm always chasing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lofty ceiling, but uh, it's fun what it actually happens. Uh, the overall appeal here, Mookie's an early first rounder. Just looking at the last seven days, he's going between pick two and pick six. So uh, you got to have a spot up near the front of the draft order if you want him. You're kind of considering him over the likes of Julio Rodriguez or Bobby Witt Jr. or Corbin Carroll. You're taking him over Spencer Strider if you want him in that part of the draft it's order. It's a little bit like Soto where like you 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 think you're going to get 10 stolen bases. Um it's going to be at the top of the lineup, have great OBP. Uh so he should have great runs in RBI in a great lineup. Um but unlike Soto, uh has run better batting averages and has recently um you know come into his power. So um you know, I, I I'm taking him well over Soto. Interesting that Steamer's got him losing six homers compared to his 39 that he hit last season and a decent amount of batting average. He hit 307 last year. Steamer's got him at 279. Uh, runs and RBIs down a little bit too. It's almost like impossible to see a projection for what Betts did last year 126 runs and 107 RBIs. So basically, a little bit of everything ticking down. Some aging in there, even though, you know, 294 career average. Uh, 316 Babbitt last year, 305 for his career. Yeah, you know, I think you could buy the projection, right? And uh, hope there's actually a little bit less aging in there. A little bit like the Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado early 30s where they were supposed to get worse than they did. Got a little bit of a gap after Mookie at this position before you get to Ozzy Albies and Marcus Simeon. That's more of a toss-up head-to-head. With Albies, I think it's kind of strange. It's a little bit like the Mookie profile, lower barrel rates, and I don't think he's going to age nearly as well as Mookie has because he's already a horrible defender at second base. He's got near league worst arm strength. He's 54th. Same approach at the plate. Yeah, he's 54th percentile in sprint speed, and and Ozzy Albies isn't old. So I feel like I'm saying only bad things about someone who goes inside the top 30. It's not entirely fair because I think we saw that the skills we saw back in 2021, those are core skills that Albies has. He got to 30 home runs again, got to 33, in fact. Uh, Stolen base total dropped slightly with the full season. A little surprising given the new rules. He was 13 for 14, but that sprint speed sort of explains why maybe 20-plus year-over-year just isn't going to happen for him, even though he just turned 27 10 days ago. Like, Ozzy Albee's one of those guys, because he got called up so young, you, you'd expect to see a 30 in the age column, and he's still kind of in that peak window. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't call for any sort of uh, chase rate-related early decline yet. Um I do think that's coming at some point. And so it is uh, something to think about in dynasty leagues. Uh, there might be an ideal time to trade Albies. You know, maybe not this year because he still has that 2022 that might be dragging his his price, you know, his um, what he can bring you back and trade down a little bit. Somebody says, oh, you know, two out of the last four years, he's been kind of injured. You know, so, you know, I don't know if I want to, what if he's a, an oft-injured guy? What if he's going to head into his injury phase? But if he has a big year this year, uh, at the trade deadline this year might be the ideal time to trade him in Dynasty Leagues. Um, I mean, you'd be trading him you know, at his peak, but you'd be you know, getting away from um, any potential early uh, disaster when it comes to 
when you chase outside the plate after 30, your ability to make contact on those pitches goes uh, goes down precipitously. And so you could see him heading into 22, 23, 24% strikeout rates in his early 30s. And I think if he does that, he's not going to be the same player because he's going to walk 6% of the time, strike out 24% of the time, uh, not steal that many bases, and maybe start running out 240s. In terms of batting average, he's never been a good BABIP guy. And the other, the last thing that is a flaw is that um, he's much better from the right side uh, than he is from the left side. I mean, the, the split's pretty big. Uh, he's 98 WRC plus against righties, 145 against lefties. So some of this is just murdering lefties. Um, that's neither here nor there. Like I said, like with you, I'm with you. I think he's the second best uh, second baseman. This year, I don't. Th- I think it's too early to sort of call all these things into play. But I did want to bring it up in a in a sort of dynasty uh, context that these things do matter a little bit in terms of his long term projection. Yeah, and I've wondered too if if we do see some OBP slippage again, even with the power and the speed that he brings, if that starts to hurt where he's placed in a loaded Atlanta lineup, that could also drag things down a little bit. I think there's a split on his. Um, batting order yeah so what happened last season from about june 15th on he just locked in that number two spot there was one game where he hit third but he was sixth against righties early in the season right so it's it's there it's a really small crack in the foundation for a player that's been really good and the other part of the appeal with ozzy albies much like the appeal with marcus simeon is that he is a max volume player? Like they the, they the run Braves, him really. out there every the single Braves day. Run everybody out there. <laughs> that core: Acuna, Olson, Riley, Albies. Those guys play a ton. So you have that sort of God, keeping look things at going Simeon, too, dude. Seven starting in 2018, 703, 747. Uh, 2020, 2021, 724. Played appearances from Marcus Simeon. If there's, has there any ever been anybody who posts so much? I mean, this guy plays every day. It almost feels like he's playing extra games. Like you kind of want to look in there and be like, do you play 165? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like how is he getting to 753? It's amazing. I mean, top of the lineup, good lineup every day. Um, I just, Marcus Simeon, 33 years old. Like when is it? Like, is there going to be a sort of roosters? What is it called? <laughs> I don't know where it. you're going with that the, one. The thing where the, the chickens come home to roost or whatever. Like, is there just going to be a year where he has like 200 play appearances and it's hurt all year? I mean, it's, something could befall him at any point. Uh, it's just the, the hazard of being out there every day. Uh, the age related durability questions are fair to ask because so few middle infielders, second baseman in particular, age well as they move as far past 30 as Marcus Simeon is, nobody in the league has more plate appearances the last three seasons. It's 2,201 plate appearances for Marcus Simeon. So much. It's only 10 guys in the league that have 2,000. And he's yeah, got 200 like, more. Is he like that. 150, 200 above second place? Uh, Freddie Freeman's got a lot too. Freddie okay. Freeman, I think, was second when I looked it up. But I will say that there, I was, I was thinking about, I was trying to think of research. There is some research about projecting injury and projecting plate appearances. And that research suggests that the most important thing is age. So at some point, it won't matter how much he's played before. He's just older. Um, but that the other most important things are how many 
uh, plate appearances did you get last year? How many plate appearances did you get the year before? And how many plate appearances did you get the year before that? So <laughs> in terms of projecting uh, his playing time going forward, you might want to put a seven in front of it for another year, um, <laughs> which is not what projection systems do. And so if there is any upside in his projection, which is a 265 batting average, 27 homers, and 16 stolen bases for Marcus Simeon, if there's any upside, it's that the projection is only for 695 plate appearances, and he could beat that by another 30 to 40. So <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd bet on that. Um, but in terms of like the type of player he is, I think what's what's amazing is how much he's gotten out of the raw tools. I mean... In terms of max EV, uh, he's average in the big leagues, and yet he turns out, you know, over the last four full seasons, he's he's been a guy who averages like 32 homers a year. Um, and then, you know, in terms of barrel rates, he's be- it's not below average in terms of the whole league, but he's like below average for like starters who have power. You know what I mean? It's you know last year six and a half percent barrel rate. But he's a little bit like Isak Paredes and Alex Alex Bregman, where when he hits a ball hard, he hits it in the air, 47% fly ball rate, uh, and he pulls it. Um, and that pull percent was 50% last year. So um, if you want to look at Isak Paredes, who I don't know if he's on this rundown. He's the third baseman now. Yeah, he didn't make this rundown. Yeah. Uh, still... Going off off the rundown, just real quick, if you want to think about Isak Paredes and whether or not he can do it year in and year out, Marcus Simeon's been doing it for five years. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I think it's something that we need to probably explore in greater detail you know, beyond the, the handful of extreme players that have this approach because... What I think happens is there's a lot of, of groupthink about barrel rate in particular. Oh, the barrel rate's low. I don't want this player. And guys are slight bargains or even significant bargains. Simeon goes so early that you're not you're not getting a deal, but he goes where he should go based on what he does. The other part of his profile that I think is kind of interesting, he's got an 85th percentile sprint speed at this age, which is really impressive. And he was really efficient. As a base dealer last year, he was 14 for 17. He could have run a lot more. I mean, you have a 348 OBP and you get 753 plate appearances. You have a lot more than 17 chances to steal bases. But what I wonder about is if the Rangers are a team that don't really want to run as much as others because they were fourth from the bottom in stolen bases as a team. They only stole 79 bases. It's such a good lineup. Like you don't want to take the bat out of the next guy's hand. Like there was like one or two players on that team, and even the the what? Who are the empty spots in that lineup? The empty quote unquote spots are Jonah Heim and Leody Tavares, right? It's like I don't know. Those guys are pretty good. Yeah, Leody fourteen bags last year, fourteen for eighteen. That's a guy that I would have thought would have run even more. I mean, seventy grade speed for Leody Tavares. Real quick, just back to that uh, barrel rate discussion, there is a relationship between pulling and launch angle. And so uh, what happens is the more you pull the ball, the more you hit it into the ground. Mm. So these players that have high pull rates and high fly ball rates are going against that trend. And if they've demonstrated it for a year or two, like I'm willing to, to believe in it. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, circling back to the Simeon Albies part of this conversation, you're looking at these two guys against the likes of Francisco Lindor, who we talked about yesterday. Uh, Rafael Devers goes in the same range. Pete Alonso on the other corner. A couple of really good starters with Gossman, Zach Wheeler, Vlad Jr. That's a pretty nice group of players overall. I'm curious if you're investing early in second base or if you're going to kind of kick it down the road in most cases, given those alternatives. I think the way it's worked for me is that I'm kicking it down the road. And the reason why I think we talked a little bit yesterday that with the shortstops, it looked like there was like, get your guy and then wait. You know, there was kind of like a real, the only two guys that were kind of in the middle were like McLean and um, I forget who it was. Horner was in there, I think, too. Yeah, I think that's sort of the middle ground, and then otherwise, and then it's just like, okay, get Carlos Correa late or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was a, a real stratification with second base. I see more of a gradual decline. So, as an example, um, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight second basemen that are around ten dollars in value. And so, yes, Simeon and Albies and, and Jose Altuve, who we're talking about in a second, they're like $25 guys. But what if I can get a $25 shortstop and do better with a middle-level second baseman? Yep. Easier, much easier get a $10 second baseman. That's better than getting a $25 second baseman and then finding myself with Carlos Correa at the end, <laughs> who we like, but, you know, Probably we like some of the middle second baseman better. Yeah, so I, I guess that would that would suggest that you see Correa as more of a middle infielder than your shortstop, where you're looking for twelve to fifteen dollars worth of value there from that MI spot. I mean, he's he's I just using him sort of as a last acceptable shortstop in a way, but he's right on the line. Yeah, I would rather have him as an MI. But um, Jose Altuve, I think, is just a really interesting guy to put in this group because in terms of uh, projections, like he's he's the other twenty five dollar guy. And in fact, uh, his projection comes out for like a dollar twenty more than Marcus Simeon's. Um, And he's aging a little bit more like you'd expect an older guy to age. It doesn't look the same as Marcus Simeon. At thirty three, we've got. you know, in 2018, 2019, we had two seasons where he didn't make 600 plate appearances. 2020 was pretty healthy, but not a great season. One of his worst seasons, uh, in fact, uh, at replacement level season. 2021 was a good number, 678 plate appearances, but then Altuve settled in with 604 and 410 last year. Although it was a broken hand from the WBC, which uh, is not a risk on the table, I just... You know, his projections that give him this money um, are at 680 plate appearances. And my personal in the head projection is closer to let's give him 600. You know, let's bake in uh, an IL appearance or two. And if you put him down to 600, then he's going to be, Altuve is going to give you, you know, uh, 22 homers and, you know, 13, 14 stolen bases. And none, nowhere near the same runs and RBIs as Simeon. So Simeon's clearly the choice over Altuve, I think. Altuve, who's 14 for 16 as a base stealer last year, was just 90 games. So if you say he's going to play a 140, 145, if he kept running at the same rate because he gets on base a ton, 20 bags mm-hmm. would still be there just based on what he did with the new rules. 
but it is That's a good call. It's waning speed. It's it's a 37th percentile sprint speed. So you do wonder if that's kind of closer to a, a ceiling. 15 might be more in line with what he's likely to do given his age and, and given that lost skill. Everything on the surface looked pretty good. I mean, it was 311, 393, 522, 17 homers with those bags, 8.3% barrel rate. He's a Bregman, uh, Simeon guy in terms of high pull, high fly ball. Although last year, 48% ground ball. So, you know, how's that going to, how's that approach going to age? Done that before too, though. We've, we've seen That's upper true. 40% ground ball rates. It's a bit of a mystery and he could be a free agent for the first time ever this time next year. He's the final year of that extension that he signed. I think Altuve is a question of, would you rather just bail a year early and, and be wrong to say, oh yeah, he was still good for another year as opposed to taking him in the third round and being kind of right about your worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the, you know, be, be wrong, you know, a year early uh, side, especially since, like I said, I think there's some middle guys I like. Um, is he a Hall of Famer? Probably. Yeah. I wonder how much he has left. Uh, but a 307, 364, 471 line uh 53 war uh for his career uh i would say he's probably uh around the average hall of fame second baseman right now so you know if he plays another two to three years and gets closer to 250 homers uh gets over 300 stolen bases uh and keeps that that slash line high yeah i could see him yeah i think it's a probably a uh, little bit weird because of how the beginning of his career started, how different a player he was for the first, you know, five years of his career. He was a guy who didn't have any pop and just just ran a lot. Yeah, and he's got almost a full season's worth of plate appearances in the postseason because the Astros are always there. 476 career playoff appearances at the Jesus. plate. 273, 345, 10, 27 homers. Another 27 homers. You got to add those in. I I think he gets in. Yeah, based on what he's done so far and with the assumption that he'll play three or four more years at a reasonably high level. Uh, so my takeaway on Altuve is probably similar to yours. Uh, I'd see Bo Bichette sitting there right next to him. I prefer Bo for this year. Uh, I think you could look at some of the other pitchers that go in this range like Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I'd rather have Yamamoto than Altuve because I like the way this position goes. It's kind of the, the middle tier of this group. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think we might be split on the next player. And there's a bit of an ADP gap because we talked about Nico Horner and Matt McClain yesterday. Those guys kind of go between Altuve and Haseon Kim. And he's a good player. One that really flourished with the new stolen base rules. 38 steals was actually his career best, including his time in the KBO. And there have been some whispers the Padres might trade him. He does a lot of his damage in the air by pulling fly balls. Makes sense. Defensive value buys him a ton of playing time in nearly any situation. I don't think you have to worry about Kim losing much. If he did lose some playing time, it'd probably be against same-handed pitching. Maybe the lineup position could fluctuate if the OBP kind of trends back towards his three-year level. 
but what he did last season came with a career best 12% walk rate. So I'm just curious if you're in on the career year from Kim, if you think he's uh, still part of the plan for the Padres this year, he does offer a lot of versatility being second base shortstop and third base eligible. Yeah, there are rumors that he could be traded and he's probably the number one tradable asset for the Padres. But I almost assume that if he is traded, that, you know, it might be for like salary relief, like pairing him with Cronenworth or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not totally clear to me. Otherwise, the, what they need right now is like starting pitching in the major leagues. And um, or, or I guess they could trade him for a slugging corner outfielder. But do you see that happening? I mean, you look at this Padres team, like, I don't know. What do you what do you think that the next move is just from a like, we want to be competitive uh, going forward this year and we don't have any money left. Like, right now, it's Cal Mitchell and Ornelas in left field and Azokar in center. I don't think trading Kim is the answer. I mean, it's a, like a $7 million player. That's going to fix everything. You're right about getting away from the Cronenworth contract, how that could be kind of one way one way to get there, but I think they also want to stay competitive while they pare things down. And I think Kim is one of those guys that keeps you competitive. He's just a, a solid all-around player with what he can bring to the table. And Machado is not going to be able to play third to start the season, I don't think. I mean, you'd rather have Kim and Cronenworth uh, than be playing a lot of Egai Rosario, I feel like. Yeah, I, I think the... The questions I have about Kim basically come down to the quality of the contact that he makes. 26.2% hard hit rate, only a 4.3% barrel rate. We see this kind of profile a lot on guys that run and kind of spray the ball around effectively. I just, I don't know how repeatable it is, man. Like, I, I, I'd rather, it's not just Kim. I'd rather try and find this profile 50, 75, 100 picks later because I think this profile comes back around in the player pool year over year at a more discounted price. I never like paying full freight for this combination of skills in the midst of a career season. I don't disagree fully. Uh, Part of why he ended up on my team in the draft we're having, which is maybe why you anticipate more of a disagreement, um, was uh, multi-eligibility. And... I think it's hard to evaluate multi-eligibility correctly in the draft and hold uh, format. And in fact, um, I think you could add as much as a dollar for every extra eligibility um, for for players. And so, yeah, uh, you know, my projection has him, you know, for $12 and that puts him comfortably below where he's being taken. Um, but, uh, for me in that draft, he gave me so many options. I've, I've switched his position in my roster board, uh, like four times, um, because he's second base shortstop and third base. And that just, that's just hugely valuable in a draft and hold format in a regular format. Um, one nice thing is if you have a short bench, if you have Haseon Kim on your team, I think, you know, going into, like I've said this before, going into a free agent season, I think he's going to post, I think he's going to be on the, on the field every day. And so if you have Haseon Kim on your team, um, you may not need to have many people on your bench covering those positions. You can have sort of a one man MI CI, you know, that can play anywhere. And, 
Um, I think that's worth something. I don't know if it's worth exactly where his draft position is. And the last p- the bit for me is that I do think projections are struggling a little bit with the stolen base environment. Um, I don't see a guy going into his free agent season, um, you know, who still runs well and uh, gets on base well and is 28. I don't see him going from 38 stolen bases to 26. So my, you know, back of the napkin projection for Haseon Kim is something like 250, 15, 40. Like, I think he could steal more. Um, and so I'm not sure that specific collection of skills is super available later. There are guys who might steal those bags and have fewer, uh, homers, but non-zero power, um, which I think he's demonstrated two years in a row where yes, despite the poor bail rates, despite, despite the poor max of ease, despite the poor hard hit rate, he's going to run into 12 to 15 a year. It's just going to be, those are going to be the days he, he gets a pitch to hit, you know what I mean? And he, and he drives it. So, um, if I just want 12 to 15 homers, uh, 330 OBP and 40 stolen bases, I think that's all there for me. See, I'm wondering if there's some guys coming up in the next tier that do basically the same thing at a slightly lower price. And I think that's where some of my hesitation is with Kim. Other player in this tier is Glaber Torres. He's entering his walk year, now showing the best strikeout rate of his career and improved patience. The 38 home runs we saw a few years ago when he hit like 36 of them against the Orioles, that might be out of reach. But he's good at everything, still plays half of his games in a great hitter's park. And probably like an ideal outcome at second base in terms of getting a nice floor with the possibility of some more in average or homers. Like I think there could be one more gear compared to the previous season from Torres. I think the price is really good. It's not quite the extreme bargain that we talked about in the shortstop preview with Willie Adames, but I do think it's a relative bargain and just a player you're going to be pretty happy with when the dust clears at the end of 2024. 100%. Uh, I think there's a really interesting thing that happens here. So uh, uh, you, what, do you, what are your ADP numbers for Kim, Torres, uh, Stott, Jimenez, and Marte? Are they all like around 100? Yeah, Kim's like 85. Torres is like 90, 95-ish. Stott's like 10 picks after that. Jimenez is right in the same range. And then there was one Marte more. Is. Marte is like 20 picks later than that. So this is this is a, a group that you'll have on your board, right? Kim, Torres, Stott, Jimenez, Marte will all be sitting there on your board when you when you come, you know, past a certain point in your draft, you know. And you're like, what's fascinating to me is um, that Torres, Jimenez, and Marte have twenty dollar projections, right? So that that's above uh, Nico Horner, who goes above him. That's above Matt McLean. Uh, and it's above Haseon Kim, you know? So you can wait through, this is the beginning of the middle that I'm talking about. Like these are $20 players that are going around ADP 100 and you could put them all on your list and wait if you just want to get the most value or you can play, you know, sort of, do I want a little bit more steals or I want a little bit more power with the Torres Jimenez, you know what I mean? But for me, Torres, Jimenez, and Cattell Marte are values. Uh, they have uh, demonstrated, Jimenez has demonstrated a plus speed. At the very least, I think he can do a Haseon Kim package, you know, and you could at least get yourself, you know, maybe a round's worth of value by waiting between Kim and Jimenez. 
Uh, and then Torres, I think, is the best all-around guy of the group because I do think he's going to hit a 25 and steal 15. And uh, just generally due to last year, also going into free agent year. So maybe there'll be a little bonus somewhere. Um, and just generally, I think that's a great place to shop. The one guy I don't like in this group is Bryson Stott. And I just find it a very soft uh, sort of selection of, of skills. I've talked to him about his approach, and he, he very much just wants to kind of line drive it, put the ball in play, uh, you know, uh, spray it around. I don't think there's any more power coming. And, you know, I guess it's a Haseon Kim type package um, where I don't know why I'm saying, you know, he stole 31 and he's going to steal fewer uh, <laughs> next year. But uh, I, I, I do also think the Phillies don't need him to steal bases. You know, it's a really good lineup. That's a big slugging lineup. Um, and just generally, I feel like he could get more out of what he does if he tried to hit for more power. I'm not sure of that with Kim. Um, and I'm just worried about, like, what if the Babbitt regression comes for Stott a little bit? And what if he's a 260 hitter next year uh, with 15 homers, 25 stolen bases? It just seems like, yeah, a little bit cheaper than Haseon Kim, but a little bit worse. I think it's really, really similar. I think that's exactly why I'm I'm okay with Stott. Like if you believe in Kim, I can't really find any different warts with Stott. I think he handled same-handed pitching a little better than I expected him to, and he's league average against righties. He's got like everything, everything you would need for him to continue playing a ton. He's a great defender. That's there. It is but interesting. You're not saving a lot. I mean, you're saving you're saving one round well, of picks. Twenty picks. I, I think I think the way I would think about it is, you know, if Bryson Stott even is not a target for me, if I'm in that situation that you were in where I feel like I need some bags and this is the place to get it, someone else gets Kim. I think Stott's an okay replacement. I actually think Jimenez is too, though. Yeah, Jimenez is somebody, yeah, that I had on my board for a long time. I I I think that I love buying low on him. The thing about Jimenez that gives me a little bit of pause is he chases a lot of pitches outside the mm. zone. 42.7% O-swing percentage. still 25. I mean, I don't think it's going to come home to roost just yet. He did that when he was good. A lot of similarities to Stott, so it totally makes sense. The projections lump them together. The market lumps them together. Um, I, I think with, with Stott, maybe that I believe there's a little more consistency in part because of the supporting cast. I just like the guys hitting around him in Philly more than I like the guys hitting around mm. Jimenez in Cleveland. I like Jimenez's batted ball stats a little bit better, though. The hard hit rate. It jumped in 22 for Jimenez, and it didn't stick. And I'm wondering if there was maybe yeah. an injury that was underreported or or something else going on there. I mean, given his age, entirely possible that he gets but it back again. at least he pulls the ball. Like, he can pull it for power. Like, I, I'm taking uh, Jimenez's home run total over Stotts. Okay. But they're going to be reasonably close. It might be a case where Stott gets you a few more bags. Menez gets you a few more homers. It's a decent place to shop overall. Cattell Marte, I think it's kind of like the Glaber profile, maybe with a little more average upside already in his past, but less speed at the present. So you give up a few bags, you might get a few more points in average. I'm a little, little worried about the sort of on-again, off-again nature of his injury history. A lot of injuries, yeah. I think that's the, that's the one thing that with Marte kind of rises above some of the other players in this cluster. You give him a lower health grade than almost anybody else we've talked about so far. And and his projection that gives him this $20 value is with a 676 plate appearance projection, which he's never done. And, and I would also just note that in my 12-teamer, I shopped 
uh, Cattell Marte pretty hard last year and got no bites. So uh, I would uh, circle that projection and probably take a few dollars off of it. Um, but what's interesting is there's still a little bit of a cliff there. There are no uh, twenty, no other twenty dollar players by uh, by steamer. And in fact, if you took four dollars off the Cattell Marte pro, uh, projection and made him a sixteen dollar player, uh, the only other player that's above fifteen dollars on steamer uh, at second base is Luis Arias. So, uh, you know, you could just circle Luis Arias and Cattell Marte and wait till pick 140 and just take one of those guys there. I mean, that's not quite the same package, but you would be getting an undervalued second baseman. So I'm really curious to know if Zach Galoff is today's equivalent of, of Matt McClain. I mean, you you look back at his minor league profile, I think there was more consistent strikeout rate issues with Galoff, whereas McLean, we talked about the up and down a little bit on yesterday's show. Galoff ran a lot more than he did at Double A with the bump up the Triple A and the big leagues this season. And I wonder if health was a factor in that. If I remember correctly, I think it was a shoulder injury for Geloff in the minors two years ago. Yeah. You get a bad shoulder, you're probably not trying to dive head first in the second base. So I think that that sort of that tracks. explains maybe some of the up and down nature of his ISOs too. I mean, yes, that. 2022 double a that was his worst iso if you eliminate that he's had 200 plus isos everywhere he's i mean he hits the ball hard so there's sometimes where i wish steamer was a person and not just the projection and we could like go sit down at the brewery with steamer and be like so buddy like why, why are you projecting <laughs> the lowest average that geloff has ever had anywhere like why are you projecting that just just tell me why uh, he doesn't have a chase problem and I don't think he has a problem with Velo. 10 of his 14 homers he hit with Oakland were on fastballs. So he's probably going to see more breaking and off-speed pitches this year. We'll see if he can adjust. Unlike McLean, the home park doesn't help. It hurts, right? Yeah. The supporting cast doesn't help. It hurts. So all the things you could look at from McLean and say, even I'm not sure about this. This is a good situation that he's in. Let's round up. Let's keep rounding up. With Galoff, I feel like you kind of have to check yourself a little bit, but the underlying skills are good. It's an 11.1% barrel rate. It's a 91st percentile sprint speed. So the power and speed should be there, even if there might be a little more average OBP risk in the short term. Maybe that's what the projections are warning us about. Maybe that's what our friend Steamer would say if we had a nice beer with Steamer. Steamer would say, look, I'm saving you from yourself. Minor league BABIPs aren't you know, super great. They're super full of noise. And his 330 Major League Babbitt came in 300 plate appearances. And so I'm just going to have to regress that super hard towards league average. And so the 306 Babbitt, I think, is probably what's low. Um, and so I think he can manage the 240, 245 at least. Um, we also had a, co- a conversation about how his max EV is, is, is lowish, 1085, and lower than his teammate Tyler Soderstrom's. Um, we, we actually had this conversation about his teammate and him. <laughs> it was kind of, I, I, I was like, uh, I didn't mean, it was like one of those questions that I was trying to ask and I didn't mean to ask it that way. And then when it was coming out, I was like, oh my God, what are you saying? You know, but I basically asked him like, you know, Tyler Soderstrom hits the ball harder than you, but you've had much more, <laughs> you had much more success. Like, like what's going on with that? And he, he gave me an answer about how, uh, he just thinks, and this is, he's basically, he believes, I guess, I guess in hard hit rate over max EV, uh, because he was like, if I can get to one Oh twos and one Oh fives 
a lot. Why do I need to try and hit at 120? He right. said, when I try and hit at 120, I, uh, it's, a, it's an out of control swing. That's an answer from the perspective of a player, right? Like that, that makes sense from the player's perspective. But from an analyst's perspective, what we're getting from Max EV is, I think, bat speed. Like peak bat speed, right? So he doesn't have Stantonian peak bat speed. But maybe he has enough bat speed for the major leagues. There's definitely a split within people who coach hitters where some people think more bat speed is better no matter what. And other people think, well, there's a correlation, inverse correlation between bat speed and, and swing and miss in the zone. So there, there might just be an acceptable amount of bat speed that you need to have to be in the big leagues. So that there's a split there. And uh, Geloff is kind of in the middle of it where somebody might say, well, you need to, you need to swing harder. Other people might say, well, you're already swinging. You already have a 27% strikeout rate. Like, like you, you, you're doing the right thing for your skill set. This might be oversimplifying it by a mile, but wouldn't the measurement essentially be enough bat speed to hit big league fastballs? Mm-hmm. And then can you look at splits against fastballs and say, yeah, he's got it. He's got enough. Because if you think about the max EV problem, Marcus Simeon had a 108.6 last year as his max, and he had 566 batted ball events. It's probably more batted ball events than anybody because of the playing time. So if Galoff has the same... Max EV is Marcus Simeon and a barrel rate that's five percentage points higher. What's what's the problem? He hits more ground balls than Simeon, but yeah. For now, right. And then to add a scouting component, I saw a lot of him. It's exciting. He's an all-fields guy. He he hits the ball hard to all fields, and it seems to be he has a little bit of take the ball where it's pitched ability. And uh, I, I kind of think he's got it with the capital I. Um, <laughs> he's you can dude. run into problems. You can, yeah, you can run into problems. I mean, uh, how many? Just think back on yourself of how many kids you saw that you thought had it with a capital I, and it didn't turn out that way. So I, I tend not to rely on that. But my internal scout says this guy's real. Okay, so can we even come close to justifying a 70-pick ADP difference between Matt McLean and Zach Galoff as of right now? Because I can't. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Steamer says $17 for McLean and $10 for Galoff. Yeah, I don't think the gap's that the wide. The batting average. The park, the batting average. The, the team, though, too? I mean, look at that. Steamer says 622 plate appearances, 76 runs, and 67 RBI from a guy who's probably going to be the two-hitter. I do still think this lineup is disgusting. <laughs> it's still bad. It's a bad lineup. Uh, it's still bad. There's young guys that can keep getting better. I, I say this is gross, even as someone who actually likes some of these guys. I, I think Langoliers will be better this year. I think Soderstrom will take a step. I like Jordan Diaz more than most people because he doesn't play defense for the team that I don't own. Like it doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter to me that his defense isn't good. Lawrence Butler's kind of interesting too. So yeah, maybe our A's preview will be a little more exciting this year than it would have been a year ago <laughs> once we get there. I, I, that's it's one of those things that's not easy to see when you're like in the draft and you're like, oh man, homers and speed. I'll just take Galoff later. But you know, you might be seeding thirty runs in RBI combined between the two 
I do think it's interesting though because I think Galoff is not getting days off. He's he's an everyday player, whereas most of the guys that start to come after him in these next couple of tiers could be in danger of losing even small shares of playing time. I think that That's would true. even apply Tyro Estrada. Tyro Estrada, because of the way the Giants mix and match, I don't think he gets 100% playing time. I just don't think that exists for him. So I think yeah. that's sort of a separator. Galoff versus Estrada. Like Estrada's counting stats might lag for that reason, even though Galoff plays more. And I think you could look at Galoff and say, these are more interesting tools. Just The only reason that I, I push back on that at all is that Estrada was elite defensively at second base. And the team seems to have decided that Marco Luciano is going to get the first shot at shortstop. We're we're uh, we're a little far out from opening day and there's still a fair amount of trading and free agents that need to to be sorted. So maybe that won't happen. But I think third base, first base, DH, corner outfield, that's where they're going to move a lot of guys and I think they're trying to move towards having some everyday components and i think if you look at this lineup you say estrada luciano and lee up the middle young defense is there you know that's a reason to put them in every day and we can play all our games around that there's some fan pressure even to do something like this like there are there are think pieces and people on the radio and 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 like I don't even want to make it seem like it's just people in the media because I I have lots of Giants friends friends my my family my dad you know I walk around in the concourse I hear it all the time I think there's a legitimate can you give us some people to believe in to buy jerseys of you know can you put somebody in the lineup every day um and so you know maybe maybe it'll be Estrada Luciano and Lee this year so three titles in five years buys you about five to seven years people being happy before they start to get a little cranky about what you're doing with the roster. That's good to know. I mean, it's 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 so funny. Uh, they had 107 wins. It's the most in franchise history, or at least in San Francisco history. And that bought their manager two years. <laughs> uh, last one from this tier, Luis Arias. You know, it's he's a unicorn. And it's it's kind of a rare opportunity to... Riku, a lot of batting average in the middle rounds. There's not really like guys like him that play this much, that could do this much in the category. Lineup placement makes him pretty reasonable, I think, in the runs and RBI department. And maybe a healthier supporting cast could give him a bump. Uh, by the auction calculator, he was the 38th best hitter in a 5x5 league in 2023. Steamer projects him to be about 30 spots lower than that going into 2024. I think he's still a little bit discounted relative to his overall value in 5x5 because of the homer and steal situation. I just don't think there's another level for the power or the speed for Arias. I think it's average, it's runs, and it's RBIs, and that's most of what it is. Yeah, I have him in an honor league, and I you know, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, last year, I had uh, the best batting average in our league, and I was 20 homers short and 20 stolen bases short of where I wanted to be. And it's like kind of pretty easy to look at that one lineup spot and be like, are you giving me good stuff and hurting me in other places? Because, <laughs> you know, maybe it's better for me to just have a 280 guy that hits 30 homers in that spot and not be falling behind in homers. So, um, yeah, I, I have a hard time valuing him. I will just point out that, uh, you know, relative to his draft position, he's probably the best steamer value in in this group it's almost like you have to build the rest of the roster 
or at least a couple other spots around him in a way that makes it make sense to not lag in those other categories. And the, and we just had one off air before I got up here. Uh, you know, a combination with Jack Sawinski. <laughs> you know, you you smushed Luis Arias and Jack Sawinski together, and uh, basically come out the other end with uh, two two eighty hitters with twenty homers and ten steals. <laughs> I mean, it, it it sounds funny because those are kind of averages fantasy players, but you might not have paid that much. That's the key. Is that this used to happen a few years ago? I think it was, it was something Todd Zola talked about with me on the RotoWire show. It was like take Joey Gallo, who at the time was still with the Rangers, popping forty homers, had the low average, but good runs, good RBIs, and even some steals when steals were a little harder to get. Put him with DJ Lemayhew, yeah, and yeah. those two guys Frankenstein together around. I think at the time maybe like pick seventy five, pick ninety, something in that range. You'd end up with two earlier round players with those roster spots. This is even cheaper. This is cheaper. And I think with it being cheaper, I'm more likely to entertain it. I think inside the top 100, the Frankenstein player approach was something I was a little bit less interested in because it just felt like the price was too steep. And then if one of those guys got hurt, then it still kind of screwed things up in the same way. If you put too much categorical weight into a player, same kind of thing. But, you know. I don't know. I, 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 it's been done, but I think cheaper is always better when you're trying to get something out pull, of pull, When you're trying to be sneaky. <laughs> yes, very much so. There's Tommy Edmond in the 150 to 200 range ADP-wise. He's alone. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. Uh, so we're going to kind of jump over him and make the next tier from like pick 200 to pick 300. So it's a big, big group. It runs from Nolan Gorman all the way down to his teammate, Brendan Donovan, and there's probably about 10 players, maybe 11 players in this group. There's some potential pitfalls here. There are some potential sleepers here. And I think Nolan Gorman could still be really, really good. He has the best barrel rate at the second base position, 17.8%, um, minimum 100 batted ball events. So if someone played a little less and did better, my apologies. But I think you have to ask yourself, can Gorman shake off lost playing time against lefties can he work his way into a level of production where the cardinals say between second base and dh you're an everyday guy or much closer to an everyday guy the small samples do offer some hope he struck out less in his limited chances against lefties last year he was great against lefties don't ever believe in reverse splits and small samples never no but (laughs) but he's young enough and i think the the payoff could be big enough where why wouldn't you he'll turn 24 in may Top 27 homers last year with a 328 OBP overall. I know the glove isn't good, but how do you not push more playing time in the direction of Nolan Gorman? I think the team context has changed. And I think that's going to be big because, you know, you don't believe in reverse platoon splits, but you can look at him and be like, well, he wasn't terrible. So let's at least run him out there for a season and see what's got like, happening. And I think the team context has changed is that Tyler O'Neill is gone. And it's just one player, but what it does is it makes DH kind of open. You know, kind of last year they had four starting level first uh, outfielders and they were they were trying to like, you know, just put one at DH all the time. Um, now I would say that Brendan Donovan is my legit utility player. He's the guy who gives somebody a day off everywhere. I don't know that I need... Uh, to play Brendan Donovan uh, every day, uh, although 118 WRC plus and projected for that is good. Um, 
you know, you can put him at second for the glove and Gorman as the de facto DH, but not do it every day like that so that you're not giving up on Gorman's glove. You know what I mean? Right. So in your head, you say Gorman is the DH, Donovan is the second baseman. But the way it works out is Gorman plays some second base, Donovan plays some outfield, Donovan plays, you know, uh, I guess that's it, some corner outfield and some DH and some second base, and Gorman plays some there. And you're not really hurting anybody. The only person that you're hurting is Alec Burleson, who could still be a candidate for a trade. And if he's just a traditional fourth outfielder, that's fine too. Just a guy and uh, saw a, a news update that he lost some weight trying to become a more reliable defender, which gives him a better chance of sticking around as a fourth outfielder. But you know, in the first run as kind of a part of their plan, even as a semi-regular, it was still a below average bat. I just think if you if you're the With Cardinals, really really poor defense that is backed up by uh, people who watch it more often than I do. If you aren't prioritizing Nolan Gorman over Burleson this year, you've completely yeah. lost it. I think they'll get it right. Last season, here's what they did at DH last season: Wilson Contreras for 30 starts, Gorman for 27, Goldschmidt for 21, Burleson for 20, Donovan for 16, Luke and Baker for 16, Arenado for 15, seven each for Yepes and Jordan Walker, and two. For large new bar. So, so some of those guys it. are gone. You know, you can even just take all those DH uh, starts that from the guys who are gone and just stick them on, uh, stick them on Gorman. And by def- Gorman played yeah. 67 games, started 67 games at second base too. That was the most yeah. of anybody they had. I think, I think you can give Gorman 550, 600 at least. The, the projections are, are light on that. 491. Yeah. I, I would take the over because he was very close to doing it last year and showed enough. I mean, improved on chasing, hit the ball even harder. There's, there, there's so much to like in that profile. And I, I think late power in the middle infield, it's not something that's easy to find. There's a few other guys that offer some similar skills, but they might not have as much of a path to the role that I think Gorman has now that things are slightly yeah. easier on that depth chart. To give you the steamer guys that are around uh, $10 like Nolan Gorman uh, and available late, which is another part of why I might wait on second base is this kind of group. Um, the, the grouping of, uh, of late picks that are sort of 8 to $10, Brandon Drury is in it. Um, and I think he's, he's kind of like an older, <laughs> an older Nolan Gorman. Um, uh, we've talked about Luis Ranjifo. He's again in it. Uh, Brandon Lau is is pretty close. Jorge Polanco, uh, who has a two seventy ish ADP, um, has a, a ten dollar, eleven dollar projection. Even uh, Jeff McNeil uh, is almost going into three hundreds. Uh, has a twelve dollar projection. Um, so uh, and then uh, there's a guy uh, at at three fifty, Brandon Rogers, uh, who has a six dollar projection. That, I mean. There's differences between these guys, 100%. But they are all valuable players. They're all, and if you're looking for an MI, like this is a great place to look, I think. And you can pick your favorite, but you can pick them at 250. You know? So, like, I think this is a, a decent place to go shopping. I, I like this group a lot. I think Polanco just jumps off the page to me as someone that's going way too late. Maybe that ADP can jump. 50 plus spots between now and March and he won't be quite the same bargain but I think you could you could do that and I'd still like him compared to this group because I think he can play more I think it's just a health question for him 
Right. I think it's a it's a an F health grade uh, where the projections give him 600 plate appearances and he's uh, put together 780 over the last two combined. But I don't know. I'm willing to I'm willing to take a shot on that. At least he'll be good when he's in. And I don't think he'll be platooned a lot or like rested a lot when he's in. They can't afford to do that if they're also have, trying to do the same for Buxton, you know, uh, in some other places. So um, I think he'll play every day when he's in and then when he's injured you're just gonna have to either you have a nice il spot for him or you just kind of have to make some difficult decisions so i think polanco plays a ton he's shown this power for three years and as long as he's healthy he's out there and i think the, the situation with minnesota it's probably a question of who's going to play a lot of first base alex kirilov has been dealing with so many injuries it's hard to rely on him at this point so maybe Edward Julian plays there. Maybe he DHs because they're actually going to play Buxton in center but field Julian's again this year. Julian's going ahead of Polanco, and that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me because I think, I think Polanco has safer week-to-week playing time. Julian, though, has a strange Julian profile. Julian has options, man, and he strikes out a ton. And Yeah, but against righties last year, he was about 50% better than league average. They can't afford to take a guy like that and send him back down. They have to make the pieces fit, or injuries will simply just make it obvious. Between between Buxton and Kirilov, it might just solve itself. Like That could be part of what happens. Julian has a 17.2% O-swing percentage. Really low, really good, doesn't chase, and somehow struck out more than 30% of the time. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't think I've seen well, under 20 on O-swing, over 30 on K percentage. That's a weird, it's a very odd combination. I think the key here is to bring back in zone percentage. Um, and what you see with him is he's just really, really patient. So what happens is if you swing, as he does, at 59% of the strikes you see, called strikes. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just get beat by called strikes. And, you know... So you've got uh, you've got another player that's a little bit like that in Jonathan India, who has a 19% O swing, but swings at 55% of the pitches he sees in the zone. Um, so I guess there's a, a little bit of a comp for you, but I guess India must have uh, just a little bit better of a hit tool uh, because he manages to turn out 21% strikeout rates. So he's not he's not quite the exact same thing. Maybe this is an argument that Julian's uh, strikeout rate is going to improve a little bit next year. I think it could. I do think the hit tool questions are, are real. We see it in the, the Fangraph scouting report. 35 with a future 40, uh, but an eye that's pretty discerning and, and legitimate power, as we can see in that barrel rate. It's kind of a question of where exactly you fit him in defensively to get that playing time. Those are oppo barrels, too, so it may not uh, be 25, it may not be 25, 30 homers. You may, those are oppo barrels. Something interesting. Interesting that it's been Apple Barrel so far. Who plays more between India and Julian, given the crowding ah, on those respective depth charts? That's a good one, because they go right near each other, too. Yeah. Okay, so uh, India is going to be battling for playing time with McLean and Encarnacion. I think, God, could Julian play more? Because the Reds have Nuelvi Marte, Matt McLean, Heimer Candelario, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Spencer Steer that all play India's positions. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that can play more than one spot. So I guess maybe India, if you hear that India is playing, you know, center or right, I think that you could maybe beat 
some Will Benson and TJ Friedel out a little bit for time, but that that's not easy either. Is there a world in which they send Noel V. Marte back to AAA to start the season? Yes. So I guess that's the other key because that unlocks an infield spot that you could you could give that to Marte. But he had not a really wrong. good debut though. Too. And what if he's hitting well in spring? You say thanks, kid. Good problem to have. That's why when they added Candelario, I just thought. You didn't have to do that. It makes you a little better, but you really didn't need to do that. It's a lot of Spencer Steer in the outfield. That's part of how this works Could regardless. Could they have bought Seth Lugo? Wasn't it like the same contract as Seth Lugo? You really wanted everyone to sign Seth Lugo. <laughs> but they need pitching. I uh, wish I wish I had so. the means to send you 30 Seth Lugo jerseys, just one for every <laughs> single team. I didn't get him in this draft that we're doing, so I, I won't. I won't have a hundred percent shares of said Lugo. We'll That's see. kind of amazing. I, I think I would. I think I would take India for a little more playing time. I, I just. I don't think we're going to see Julian play against lefties, so that hurts right off the top. And then the crowding could be a factor because of his defensive limitations. And I also, I'm not sure about Buxton in center field again, because that's that is a big question opens up DH or doesn't open up DH based on whether or not it works. Um, yes, is true. But also this team, if Buxton is like Willie Castro is the everyday center fielder, then your outfield is going to be Willie Castro, Matt Walner, Max Kepler, and Trevor Larnack. Where does that rank among outfields? And I wonder if they'd play Nick Gordon in center over Willie Castro. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. I think he was he wasn't released. Still there. No, he was hurt there. last year. He got hurt in like May. So Max Kepler still there, man. Like it's just still taken. That's why I guess I mean that's maybe Julian is a little bit why we're hearing Max Kepler rumors. I guess. Maybe you could play some Julian at, at DH and Bucks in a corner or Julian in a corner. Mm. It's a little bit of a weird depth chart every year with the twins, I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, in some light, I look at it, I'm like, this is pretty good. And then some days I look at it, I'm like, this is a problem. Yeah. And I'm not sure how I'd solve it. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I don't have to solve that particular problem because I don't they know if I have the answer. have a lot of players and they throw them at the, at the wall, it seems like, a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I like India, though, relative to price. I think the jury comments you made before, I mean, the contact quality metrics are still good. He's probably going to stick close to everyday playing time. And I think we talked about Luis Renjifo yesterday. If they were to add... JD Martinez or some other infielder to the mix. Some of that would make it a little bit harder to like Drury and uh Renhifo. Like any any additions on the Angels lineup. Yeah. Because right now the, the the DH being open and second base being open is why those two will get a lot of time. Oh, and the always uncertain health status of Anthony Rendon, also a great unknown here as we're Still, you know, almost a month ahead of, of spring training. Uh, Brandon Lau goes in this group. I think the back might finally be healthy just based on the contact quality. I mean, the underlying power numbers are still encouraging. Just wonder if he missed his only chance to play a lot against lefties. He struck out 34% of the time when he played more against them in 2021. We know they mix and match. They've got a lot of flexibility on the roster. So that would be kind of my, my one other concern with Lau, aside from the long-term nature of a back injury. Like, that's... That's always going to be there. Uh, yeah, I think that he's great in daily leagues and under probably undervalued in daily leagues where you be. can sit him against lefties and then start him and get 25, 30 homers with some steals. Um, but in weekly leagues, just 
you know, you just lose a little bit, lose a little bit, lose a little bit. Like, you know, he's never had 100 runs or RBI, even in his best season in 2021. It was 97 and 99. Um, and, you know, 615 plate appearances with 149 games, he was still being platooned in his best season. So I would assume the same thing will happen, you know, in its age 29 season, especially when you've got Junior Caminero, righty, uh, Curtis Mead, righty, uh, and uh, Jonathan Aranda, lefty, but among the group that will mix and match on that infield. Yeah, always crowded in Tampa Bay. Uh, Gavin Lux made it on this episode because he's second base and outfield eligible, but he's going to be a shortstop predominantly this year because Mookie is playing second and they've added to that outfield. Uh, one of the many players coming off of a torn ACL, and I think I, I think I drafted three guys that tore their ACL last year between Edwin Diaz, Reese Hoskins, and Gavin Lux, so I guess I have a lot of confidence in healthy ACLs coming off of surgery, but uh, why I like... isn't basketball. <laughs> right. Well, so... The thing I like about Gavin Lux is that he showed 89th percentile sprint speed before the injury. We don't know if it comes all the way back. Totally fair question. But even 70th or something, like he can still steal bases on that. And we didn't see what he could do in this new stolen base environment. So I, I think compared to what I thought he was going to be coming out of AAA a few years ago, maybe the player he is is very different, but I still think he could be a good player. And I wonder though, like, is he really their guy at shortstop? It doesn't it doesn't feel like it. Like we've heard them linked to Willie Adamas, we've heard them linked to other players and I don't know. It seems like a weird thing to just go in with this behemoth of a team and then a guy coming off ACL surgery and like a 45-year-old at, at shortstop. <laughs> Uh, you talk about Miguel Rojas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know he's not even close to 45, but he just he strikes me as a 45-year-old. <laughs> uh, Miguel Rojas is definitely younger than both of us. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can say that with some confidence. Let me, let me make my jokes. Well, maybe I'm it's old, a platoon. I'm an old man. It's probably a platoon because if you think about the spots they could platoon, right field, Jason Hayward's going to share with Manny Margot, presumably. People Lux like shares with sure. Rojas. But they're not mixing and matching at DH because that's Shohei. And then they're not I, mixing and matching with Betts because he's Mookie. But what about uh, Muncy? M- Muncy would be the third spot. So if so you build Muncie, the bench... Muncy and Taylor. So yeah, if you build it the way Roster Resource has it, Barnes is the backup catcher, Taylor's the infield outfield, Rojas is the backup shortstop, and Margot is the other outfielder. Uh-huh. So that means... Margot and Hayward are in a platoon. Muncy and Taylor are in a platoon. So one of Muncy or Lux could theoretically play against lefties if if they want to also give James Outman days off and play a righty in those spots. Because he's the guy, he's not flagged as a platoon, but he'd be the other one I'd say, well, maybe they're not going to play him every day. But, you know, the, the shortstop is such the, like, he's the quarterback of the infield. I mean, he's literally, you know, making sounds. I think Addison Russell told me, like, he would make sounds at the third baseman and the second baseman to let them know that an offseed was coming. You know, mm-hmm. he's the one who's like sort of directing traffic around second base. And, um, you know, it, it just it, I think it'd be a little bit weird, too, uh, for Gavin Lux, who hasn't really had that chance that full everyday, you know, go and get him, kid uh, chance. And he's he's 26. 
um, to be like, I guess the way you'd sell it is, hey, you're coming off of ACL. We want to give you a couple of days rest a week anyway to keep the, you know, the leg strong. And so we'll just do those against lefties and Miguel will step in for you. Right. I mean, look at what he's done so far. Trey Turner was there for part of this time. A lot more playing time at second than at short for Lux in his big league career to this point. So it's it's a question. He might be their first guy off the bench, but the big side platoon guy that plays extra, it might be a 450, 500 plate appearance max. So maybe I'll end up getting completely burned. But I thought the, the eligibility, the fact that he'll be second, short, and outfield, especially for a draft and hold, I actually like that quite a bit because I think the per start numbers could be pretty good. And I'm looking for a little more speed, even though he's coming off of that ACL tear. Uh, Jeff McNeil goes in this group too, kind of Luis Arias 2.0. Now that we know that the the 23 homer he's season, so cheap. I, I just prefer it because it's so much cheaper, and uh, and also you're buying him off of a, a little bit of a low point batting average wise. Um, so I, maybe there's there's some whispers that like he was hurt by the shift restrictions. Because he used to get shifted uh, to as a pull guy, and um, he's actually a spray guy. Um, I don't know that teams would shift a guy with a thirty-four percent and thirty-five percent pull rate a ton, you know. Um, so I don't know if that's necessarily true. Teams have like pretty good advanced scouting, like to to be like, oh yeah, they didn't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. So I would assume that uh, with a three twenty-one. Uh, career Babbitt for for Jeff McNeil in a 288 last year that we're going to see those uh, you know move towards each other and we're going to get like a 290 batting average maybe 300 out of him uh, 10 10 10 homers 10 stolen bases like it is a weird fit but he's also dual eligible for the draft and hold guys second and outfield uh, he was one of my uh, dual eligibility strategy guys uh, that I picked up and he's just glue. Um, he's going to keep your batting average high and, and and keep everything moving along. So I think McNeil is a, is a great MI uh, and a great uh, draft and hold player. Yeah, kind of like choosing him or Brendan Donovan. Maybe Lux fits into this group too. But McNeil is more like, I think they're just going to play him every day. Right. There's there's probably more volume coming from him. They 648 yeah. played appearances last year. You'd project more based on what we know today. And maybe things could change between now and opening day that would lead us to be more confident about Lux. But I was just thinking there could be more five by five value from Jeff McNeil, which would be uh disappointing for me as someone who's been a long-term <laughs> believer. Not for me. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've, you've just moved on already. Uh, going to the late, late part of this position. Huge, well, I huge. showed group. my leg a little bit with Brendan Rogers. I think that's a nice one. Yeah, Rogers should play a lot in Colorado. They don't let him run, so you know that going in. Average should be decent. I think some of the other names on this list, it includes Jordan Westberg, Bryce Terang. We covered, talked about Jose Caballero yesterday. Um, Jake Cronenworth will be part of the first base episode. Michael Massey is going in here. Uh, Luis Arias getting a fresh start in Seattle. Luis Garcia. Miguel Vargas, another Dodger that doesn't look like he has a spot right now, but people trade. liked him a lot going into last season. Yeah, maybe he's part of a trade. That could easily be uh, something we see. I mean, playing time for him somewhere could open up some interesting possibilities. You got Josh Rojas in here. Uh, Mauricio Dubon, another middle outfield guy. That's kind of a nice glue player to have. I, I wonder if they're going to play him anywhere near as much in a season where Altuve is healthier. That's sort of the, the Dubon question that I have, but... Bryce Terang, 
I, I like him because he's a great defender. So I think he can play a lot. I don't know if they're going to play him against lefties very much. That's always going to be a concern. And I'm really not sure there's going to be a lot more power there. We saw a 2.9% barrel rate, 26% hard hit rate during his first run against big league pitching. So it's a it's an all-glove profile for now. You do get cheap bags. He was 26 for 30 as a base dealer, so I think that's something to build on. Do you just see enough there to think that maybe he could be a passable bat with more is this experience? Your, is this another one of your Haseon game types? This is a level below. Like this, this is there's more risk in this profile. Yeah, sure. Especially also because you know the Brewers did have great uh, defense, but they also had poor offense. And you wonder, you know, as people matriculate, um, what, how will that balance be met? Will they f- find that they need to play a Monasterio or Black over Turang and make Turang more of a defensive backup? Uh, because they need that offense, you know, or will they find that with Jackson Churio up and maybe some advancement from some of their outfielders that they have the offense and they just keep that the, the defense there? So um, I think that's an intriguing one. Uh, but there's, you know, possibly, uh, obviously massive uh, playing time issues when you get down here. Um, like Jordan Westberg is a player I'd like generally. Uh, I wish he hit the ball a little bit harder, but just in terms of um, he seems like a player who does everything pretty well. Um, And I would bet on him if he was traded and I would bet on him if he was given an all-time role. I just don't think he has that. Um, And he's going a little bit more expensive than some of the other guys. Michael Massey is somebody I like because um, we've saw some improvement in his swing and miss and his strikeout rate. Um, and he's kept his max EV, uh, uh, he's kept his max EV high. And so there's a, there's a world in which Michael Massey, the 25 year old puts together his short sample bail rate from 2022, um, with this nice strikeout rate from 2023 and has a breakout season. Um, and in, to some extent, pro- projections are, pro- are are projecting that. They're saying 21% strikeout rate, 161 ISO, 15 homers. The one problem is he looks like all the power disappears against lefties. And I don't want to read too much into a small split, um, but I don't know if they'll play him against lefties at all. Yeah, I mean, they sought out Garrett Hampson this winter. <laughs> so you'd think maybe the the lefties uh, playing second base would be a spot for Hampson to get a little bit of run. I do think Massey's interesting. Uh, it's like, will it actually be Hampson playing first base? Or, oh, oh no, they're not doing base. that. They're, okay, they, good, good. Yeah. They got to be kidding about that, right? No, no. Yeah, I saw something about that online, and I, I yeah. I no, th- maybe, they, no, they're not doing yeah, that. No, no. no. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, Hampson's going to steal from him. So, again, another daily uh, league guy that, a little bit harder to trust in uh, weeklies. I think Rogers. The I think he's going to play. You know, uh, I think actually he's the one guy that weekly wise um, I I trust to play every time he's healthy. I don't think that there's a split reason uh, to keep him out of the out of the um, out of the lineup for the Rockies for uh, fancy players. Uh, the home and away splits for his career. The away split is 233, 283, 371. It's not necessarily somebody you want to play. So, you, you know, if you do have Rodgers in a weekly league, 
uh, it'd be better if you had the ability to rest him and put him on the bench sometimes. Yeah, I, I like players like that more with the 50-round format than I do in the typical seven-man bench 30-round leagues that we often draft. So Yeah, because if you're, if you're like, oh, I'll piece together an MI with Rodgers and Massey, that's two roster spots, you know, when you only have seven bench. What's your upside on that situation? And how many weeks are you going to be like, ooh, Massey has, you know, three lefties and Rodgers is away from home? Oops. <laughs> I keep looking at the Westberg situation. I'm a little more optimistic than you are. I think you can you can invest here very easily and you could come away with a lot of playing time because when I look at their depth chart, Ramon Urias is a great utility guy. He's good glove. I think you could play him a couple times a week, but you so should you wanna, make Westberg you the give starter. Westberg second. I want to give Westberg second the same way. I just want to move Jackson Holiday to the starting shortstop <laughs> role like right now. So you just want to be like Gunner, Jackson, Westberg, let's go. Well, all three of them, yes. Play, <laughs> and, and you got Adley behind the plate. Like, Just let it happen. Yeah. Just let it happen. There's no reason not to. 107 WRC plus projection for Westberg. And to my point about like doing everything well, nothing's like really elite. He'll have around a league average strikeout rate, around a league average walk rate, around a league average barrel rate, a little bit better than that, a league average max hit, a little bit better than league average hard hit. So this this is a guy who should have a safe batting average. If you can, you know what it could be is, um, you know, take him on your bench in a, a situation um, where you're drafting in, in early March and then know that you may have to drop him if, the team doesn't listen to you. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance it doesn't work out immediately and you can't just hold and hold and hold for four weeks, six weeks, whatever it takes for them to come around and give them the chance. But the hard hit numbers at AAA, Fangraphs had him at a 51% hard hit rate at AAA with a pretty low K rate. He's walked everywhere he's played. This guy just looks like he's got it kind of figured out. Does everything well, like you said. If you said... Jordan Westberg is going to be discussed the same way Matt McClain is being talked about this draft season. I that think could be impo- I can, that could be possible. I could see that. Like the tools are all there. So the steals is, I think, an open question mark, especially as people enter this new environment. I mean, he stole four uh, in 222, uh, 228 plate appearances in the major leagues, six and 300 in the minor leagues. So, you know, that could go either way. I mean, that could be 15 or that could be five next year. I don't, I don't really. Um, have an answer for for projecting that, but I would guess um, on the higher end, just because he's a young guy that can still run. Did I draft Gavin Lux over Jordan Westberg? Did I do that? I think so. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> do we have any love for Davis Schneider? Someone's got to play in that infield. I, mean, I don't know what they're. Maybe are they bring him back with Merrifield or something. What? What are the Blue they Jays do doing? They do seem like they have they have a powder left, and they they may make a move. So, um, but you know, I just love one seventy six WRC plus. I know it's a small sample, but um, you know he is projected to be above league average, and he's a barrel rate connoisseur. I mean, he's he's this guy with the fifty percent pull rate and the fifty fifty percent fly ball rate. You know, I even watched him, and I was like, I feel like I can see you trying to hit the ball. To the pull power alley. <laughs> oh, so he's uh, he's right-handed Kevin Biggio. Yeah, yeah, or like a Bregman-esque, you know. Uh, he's definitely trying to just pull that thing 
right into this, into into space. I guess he yeah he doesn't he doesn't swing much, um, but he's a little bit more aggressive in the zone than Kevin Biggio, um, and uh, maybe that's just it. Maybe they're like, hey, we can get uh, the platoon advantage. We'll put Schneider in uh, against every lefty. <laughs> Do they like Kevin Biggio? I don't know. I've never felt like they've liked him that much. Yeah. But he's still there. So 300 plate appearances every year is just like the weirdest level of like, eh, he's okay. Do you remember when he debuted? It was 100 games. It was like two thirds of a season. Good OBP, low average. And he hit 16 homers and he stole 14 bases. He was perfect 14 for 14. And it was just like, oh, well, hey, another, another son of a big leaguer uh, in yeah. this court. This is going to happen. Stud, yeah. They're going to do this too. And nothing he's really been able to do since then has come close. He's never had as many plate appearances in any follow-up season as he had in 2019. The closest he would have really come on a, like a per game, like how many shares of playing time did he get, was the shortened season in 2020. And he actually wasn't bad in the shortened season. But the last three seasons, I don't know. It just looks like a clear part-time sort of guy that doesn't doesn't have that much to offer. And I remember back in 19, we talked about it. The underlying numbers weren't good, right? It wasn't a case where he was crushing the ball or anything like that. It was it was like a, a high sweet spot percentage play. <laughs> it's all it was. It wasn't, it wasn't barrels. Yeah, it wasn't hard hit rate. It was yeah, just putting the ball in the right angle a lot, and it just happened to work out. That was his highest fly ball rate, so he was, he was pulling fly balls. It was a little bit like the Schneider approach. But uh, ever since that day, his fly ball rate has dropped. Yeah. And... His pull rate has dropped, really. Yeah, Davis Schneider did come out of like relative nowhere to do what he did at AAA and then his brief debut last year. He's he's okay. I think for Schneider is what they hoped Bijo would be, and he hasn't been. Well, that could be. Uh, anybody else on this this corner? I mean, Josh Rojas seemed a little more interesting in Seattle, but yeah, that depth chart, the depth chart concerns me. Yeah, I mean, it concerns me too, but just because it's got. Not great places. So I guess uh, Dylan Moore fights Rojas for playing time. I think Rojas and Urias cover one spot and they add somebody else. Maybe they're the team that goes in. Well, they're not spending. They're just not spending. So it's probably some goofy trade. Can we get a goofy trade? They've Another got goofy one trade? More goofy trade in them for sure. <laughs> That's what it seems like, doesn't it? It really does. Mm. Um, I, 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 uh, we liked uh, Jordan Diaz. We mentioned, yeah, yeah. Diaz um, is is solid. He's going to play a lot for Oakland. So good deep league player. I don't know if he's ever going to do enough to be like a twelve team mixed league kind of player, but a lot of space between AL onlys and and twelve teamers where you can find him. Some improvement left in a strikeout rate, uh, but yeah, the glove. I've as I've uh, can confirm with the eyes is not good. <laughs> um, Adam Frazier, still again, Adam Frazier. Yeah, I mean, he's a free agent. Super You cheap. have to identify where he goes. Maybe he ends up in Seattle again. No, don't do that again. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think some of the rules were, were good for him. Um, and I think he he could have a year with a much better Babbitt. Um, but um, yeah, what am I expecting? Even if he gets uh, two-thirds playing time, I think 260-10-10. Again, that's not super exciting. How about another Cardinal? Thomas Sujacy is the pronunciation. Oh, I just yeah. saw that coming out of uh, whatever the Cardinals fan fest is. That's how you say that? Sujacy. 
Yep, Sue JC. S A G G E S E. Sue JC. So yeah, good luck finding that if you've ever seen it. It looks like Sagis or something yeah. along those lines. So <laughs> I'm glad you went first. <laughs> I mean, I really like guess, what he's yeah. done in the minor leagues. Uh, although the AAA was a small sample, we didn't get great hard hit numbers. But um, there was, you know, it was a really small sample, and he also hit 55 percent ground balls in AAA, which he'd never done before. Otherwise, you've got a guy who makes contact, puts the ball in the air, has hit for power, has run for speed. Um, and uh, has a 40-45 um, uh, fielding uh, number, which is always uh, interesting in St. Louis. I just think he's pretty blocked for now. Maybe he ends up in a trade, or um, I don't. I don't. You know, with Gorman and Donovan ahead of him, and maybe even Edmund, I don't. I don't see where he gets playing time this year. Yeah, I think it's more of a late season promotion. Uh, I think we'll see more of CJC in 2025. No, I just think if injuries, different things pile up and you bring a guy like that up later in the year. But let him him play AAA half a season before you really have to try and force the issue. Run me through the Milwaukee depth chart real quick again. So you think it's Urias and no, no, that's that's wrong. The Seattle depth chart? Yeah, no, run me through Milwaukee because I want to know about Tyler Black. All right, Tyler Black's going to play third base. He's a lefty. Monasterio's a righty. Owen Miller's a righty. Tyler Black plays third base when he comes up. He's an OBP machine. He's got other tools, of course. There's there's a lot to like in his He's offensive profile. He's better than Monasterio and Miller right now. Has even. to be. Just has to be. There's only 39 games at AAA last year, so it doesn't necessarily have to be opening day. But if you look at this lineup and you want to be better than you were a year ago, you can put all that on Jackson Churio, and that's not fair. They might do that. I don't think it's fair. <laughs> I think when you look at guys like Terang, Mitchell, you have a lot Monasterio. of questions. Monasterio is part of that too. How many spots in your lineup can you do that? Sal Freelich. I, I think this is a classic case where uh, if Tyler Black has a good spring, he just takes the job. I think he could. I think he could hit his way onto the roster. And if he doesn't, it's probably not going to take him that long to break through because they're going to need a bat. And I think he could be... Uh, maybe a guy that ends up in the leadoff spot. Yeah, like if you're playing Turing at, at second, I kind of, I have some hope for one of the Milwaukee corner outfielders to step forward, but as they are right now, Freelich, Weimer, Mitchell, and Perkins are all, I don't want to say like full zeros, but like below average bats. Oh, right. Hey, the good news is you have a whole week to think more about that situation. <laughs> but if you're running uh, Turing and 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 Freelich out there, and then Bowers is your first baseman, I feel like they're looking for offense. Mm-hmm. They need and it. That's why they even signed Bowers in the first place. Tyler Black, man, I think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a good situation for him. He's third base eligible, so not part of the uh, second base crowd here at the bottom uh, i want to oh, see sorry. no it's okay I, I we were just talking about terang a little earlier and you know what, what are they going to do like I, jay I, jones jemai jemai jones yeah oh the old angels prospect yeah i think he'd end up more in a small side platoon if he sticks around on the roster so i don't, oh, I don't see not, a ton there it's not good no no unfortunately for him uh, it really isn't uh not a lot of prospects at second base we've talked about that before jace young younger brother of josh young would be the exception I think it's kind of a question of how quickly do the Tigers want to start bringing some guys up. Colt Keith's going to get up first, I would assume, because and we've he seen might more of him. play second. So even though he doesn't have eligibilities, he is worth talking about. He's a really exciting prospect. Yeah. So I if think... you want, if you can have 
the ability to wait for him to get second base eligibility on your bench or something, then definitely think about rostering Colt Keith. He'd be an interesting guy uh, to to put on a bench and wait for, I think. He does everything pretty well. There's no real flaw in the approach, I don't think. The Tigers are getting there. We talked about their pitching a few episodes ago. There's a couple more interesting young bats on the way, and they're not that far off. And given that it's the AL Central, you could see some some pretty big improvement pretty quickly from uh, from this roster. Yeah, second base is where you you stick a guy who used to be the shortstop, or maybe he's a first baseman who has a little bit better a glove, or you know, it's really you know, it's not a place you traditionally have second base prospects. Uh, and you know, even look at the top of this list: Glaber Torres, former shortstop; Haseon Kim, Matt McLean, former shortstop; Nico Horner, former shortstop. Marcus Simeon, former shortstop. Mookie Betts, former right fielder. It's it's the uh, the catch-all spot. Uh, for some reason, it, it seems to get uh, undervalued in drafts, and I have like five maybe second basemen in our draft. <laughs> Just because like people don't think about them, I think. But it's, a, it's an interesting position, and I just wouldn't go prospect hunting there. I think the other part of second base is that you end up with depth guys that show up there in season because they tend to trust more players to just fill in there. So a lot of the multi-eligible players pick up second base or have second base going mm. in there, even if it's not their primary spot. So then you end up with a couple guys in the roster that you can shuffle in and out of that spot. So a decent position, though, better than it used to be and a lot of different ways to play it. We kind of broke down how we like to go. That mid-tier especially looks pretty good. You get a nice balance of some power with good speed on a lot of those players don't necessarily have to pay up at the very top and as you move further and further on the board Jordan Westberg not completely cheap but really a guy that I like late that could do a ton of good things for you uh, at a very modest price Uh, we are going to go on our way out the door a reminder you can get a subscription to the athletic it's two dollars a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels our position preview series rolls on we're going to move to the corner infield for the next couple of episodes if you didn't catch shortstops yet go back and listen to that and as i said at the top of the show be sure to like this video if you watched on youtube subscribe to the youtube channel if you haven't done so already and also take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you tomorrow thanks for listening